What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Process Podcast. I'm Charlie Witkowski, joined as always by Nick Veronica. Nick, how you doing, man? Charlie, I'm good. The Buffalo Bills are one and zero, and we have a special guest this week. I we thank do. Brad Gelber for joining us today. He's a writer for Billswire, and he's better known as uh, the guy on Twitter with all the really good content. So, Brad, thank you for being here. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. So, really appreciate you uh, you hopping on. I think Brad's our first official guest, huh, Nick? Uh, we had uh, Doctor Matt Veronica uh, like oh, three months, right. four months ago, but Brad, Brad's our first remote guest. Yeah. There we go. There we go. I, I like it. I like it. So <laughs> let's just jump right into it. Let's not waste any time today. Let's kind of jump right into it because I know we have a lot to talk about from from week one. So the Bills are one and zero. First off, thoughts from uh, from the game: what good, the bad, the ugly. What are your thoughts there, Brad? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to kind of digest from this opening game. I think that going into it, um, you know, everyone was kind of skeptical to a degree of what quality of football we were going to get because we haven't seen, you know, any real games since the playoffs last year. There was no preseason this year. So, you know, were they going to come out rusty? Well, how is the offense going to look with all the new pieces? You know, I don't know too many people that were worried about the defense, but there was just a lot of questions that needed to be answered. Um, so I think that, you know, I was overall pleased with obviously the bills pretty easily won that game, but um, you know, it, the second half was a little troublesome in different regards as I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. And Josh Allen at times kind of reverted back to some carelessness with the football, which has been kind of a knock on him in, in his early part of his career here. But um, you know, it's hard to fault a, a team overall when they win kind of in the convincing fashion that they were able to win, uh, you know, versus albeit the Jets. Um, so, yeah, there, there's definitely some negatives to this game, but I think overall you have to feel at least pretty good if you're a Bills fan heading into week two versus the Dolphins. Yeah, Absolutely. I definitely agree with uh, with you, Brad. Um, Josh Allen, I mean, the two fumbles and everyone on social media is talking about the overthrow in the end zone. Overall, like, Overall, he looked really comfortable directing the offense, making throws. Like a- as a passer, he looked like he progressed from last season, which was really encouraging. Yeah, and I think that that's something that you know, if you depending who you follow on Twitter, what you read, what you listen to, um, you know, one of the guys, Dan Orlovsky from ESPN, who's kind of a quarterback guru, whatever you want to call him, he was very, very big on Josh Allen's progress, you know, growth, all that this week talking about just how comfortable he's looked, as you just said, Nick, in terms of even just his, you know, his calmness in the pocket. Now, I mean, if you think back to his rookie season, um, we saw a lot of dancing around in the pocket, which is normal for, you know, a rookie, but it seems like whatever Josh is doing now, it's kind of, you know, there's a method to the madness here. And I think that's credit to Brian Dable is obviously in Ken Dorsey that's worked with him a lot on that, even just his, you know, his foot technique, all this sort of thing. And I think that was something that if you read any, you know, stuff from the, the Jets media this week, um, people were pretty hard on Sam Darnold in terms of, you know, he also works with Jordan Palmer in the off season, which is the same quarterback kind of, you know, training coach guy that Josh Allen works with, but it didn't look like there was that same progress for Darnold, albeit, you know, he has a much worse team and a lot less weapons that he plays on. But, um, you know, I think that that's something as a credit to Josh as he continues to grow. And I know people will, as you said, they're harping on that overthrow in the end zone, which we saw several other quarterbacks have similar plays this week. Um, Yes, the carelessness a little bit with the football with those two fumbles, but Anytime you run as much as Josh ran that first game, um, you know, there's going to be fumbles. I mean, that's the nature of it, but he does need to be more careful with the football. But, um, you know, look at Lamar Jackson, for instance, obviously kind of the preeminent running quarterback right now in the NFL. And he has over the course of the same amount of time, I saw, you know, a Dolphins writer tweet, Josh Allen has 24 fumbles and 29 career games he's only lost 14 of the 24, but then you look at Lamar Jackson, he has 22 fumbles in the same amount of time. So, you know, it's pretty similar numbers there, both young quarterbacks that run. Um, So, you know, he needs to clean it up, but I just think sometimes we find people kind of with, you know, a microscope, obviously looking at 
the negatives of Josh Allen instead of maybe highlighting some of, of the more positive attributes. Yeah, I haven't seen all of Lamar's fumbles. I think what sticks out with Josh Allen is how easy they would have seemed to correct. It seems like he's a little bit careless with it sometimes, and that just that just aggravates people, I think, because they're like, you know, I, I couldn't do anything else he did, but I would have known to take care of the football. How can he not know, you know, hold on to it like that? But the guy had a career high in passing yards and a career high in rushing attempts in the same game. That's pretty hard to do. Yeah, and yeah, and it, that's the thing is we've all been harping on this 300-yard, you know, passing game for how long now, and that's kind of been another knock on him. But you know, he surpasses that on Sunday, and as you said, he also with with the rushing there, and I think that that goes back to kind of what I think Brian Dable's trying to accomplish is look he is a weapon overall like this isn't you know this isn't back to the days of tom brady and uh, peyton manning just standing in the pocket and and you know firing the ball all the time they are there's athletic quarterbacks now if you can't move you're not really going to be able to not that you can't play quarterback in today's nfl but you're gonna have a lot tougher of a time it's it's all about athleticism now look at all these quarterbacks coming out into the league now that are having success so I think Dable is embracing that rather than shying away from it. I know a lot of Bills fans were, you know, upset on Twitter on Sunday saying they need to stop running him this much. Why aren't they getting Singletary and Moss the ball running? And that's the thing. I mean, you have to take what the defense is going to give you. And if Josh Allen's going to run all over teams and be able to put up points, I, I don't really get – I get not wanting him to get injured, but he's a big guy. Like, I don't know why everyone's so worried all the time that he's going to he's gonna get hurt. Not that he it, – it's we want to see him run every time, but I think people need to take a step back and realize they're just doing what they think they need to do to win right. games. Um, and, and also, at the end of the day, it's, it's not every play isn't called for Josh Allen to, you know, run up in the middle. There, he has options depending on what the defense gives him, whether he gets rid of the ball or not. So – um, I think we're going to continue to see this progress and change based on who they're playing. I think, you know, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be this week. If you looked at the Dolphins game last week versus the Patriots, Cam Newton ran on them quite often as well. So they could be setting themselves up for another week of us seeing, you know, Josh Allen take off with the ball on the ground. Yeah, I was going to make that exact point. If you were mad about it last week, like you're going to be mad again this week. Cam Newton had 17 rush or 15 rushes for 75 yards and two touchdowns against Miami. So I can assure you that will be more of that this week. Yeah, for sure. And I think at one point he even had a three three runs in a row or something like that. I was seeing people talking about that. So, um, you know, people are always going to find some things to be upset about. I think that's just the nature of, of being a fan or – you know, being on social media in general. But I think that um, if they're winning, they're putting up points. Yes, I'd like to see him continue to develop in the passing game. And I'd like to see him be more careful with the football. But as I said in the beginning, it, it's hard to fault them, if, if, especially if the offense is taking a step forward. That's, that's what we all wanted to see this season. Yeah. All right. So by the time uh, people are listening to this, they, they've seen the game. They know what happened. Uh, I want to hear some of your opinions. Charlie, I want you to give me someone who impressed you this week that was better than you thought and someone who was a little bit worse than you thought that was left you wanting more. So with who impressed me, I think obviously Stefan Diggs. I thought for him uh, to come in in his first game, you know, obviously, again, with no preseason, really only practice and 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 all of that with, with, with him and Josh Allen. I thought him and Josh Allen had some pretty good chemistry. He had eight catches. Um, you know, no touchdowns, but that's fine. I'm not, ex I, I don't need him to go off the charts every game. Um, with that helps John Brown to continue to, uh, uh, be productive in this offense as well, which of course we saw with the little screen pass touchdown to John Brown, but I thought Stephon Diggs did a really good job getting open, making some really good catches. There was one catch, I believe it was the second quarter where he cut towards sideline and you could just see him throwing his hands up saying, hey, I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. Luckily, Josh Allen found him. It was a very nice throw, even better catch. So Stefan Diggs really impressed me. Um, as far as, you know, who did who was a little disappointing, obviously, you know, the running game um, as a whole uh, was expecting a lot more out of Singletary. Um, Zach Moss in the passing game I thought was good, um, which we can kind of get into that a little bit. Uh, later, but I, I was very disappointed with uh, uh, the running game with, with Singletary and, and even Moss's running game for that matter with them both getting nine carries and 
really not being able to do much on the ground. Yeah, Singletary ran nine times for 30 yards. Moss ran nine times for 11 yards. That is not what you want. Let's go to Brad. Same question. Yeah, so obviously I think Stefan Diggs was, you know, one of the obvious answers. I, You know, he had a really strong game just in terms of pretty much caught everything thrown his way. He took a lot of really hard shots, too. And some of that is where the ball placement was from Josh Allen, but some of it's just the nature of the catches he's going to make all year long. And he's such a tough guy. I mean, he did, at one point, I think he stayed down for an extra couple seconds. Every other time, he looked like he just popped up right away. So, um, you know, we talk a lot of or people have talked a lot about Stefan Diggs and what he brings to this football team and this offense. I, I didn't really hear toughness ever really brought up. And that's something I noticed immediately from him. But um, someone else that you did mention, Charlie, was John Brown. I mean, I, I said several times, I think this guy's going to have a huge season this year now that he doesn't have to be the number one wide receiver on this offense. I think that he at times last year was a legitimate number one. And I think at other times, you know, they didn't, they missed having a guy like Stefan Diggs, um, but he has that ability. So the fact he doesn't have to be that target and Josh can just find him like he did this week over and over when they need him. Um, I just think that he's going to be electric. So I, I was really impressed by him, especially, you know, you, you kind of are signed in a way as a free agent the year before to be the number one wide receiver brought in with Cole Beasley. And then all of a sudden the bills go out and trade for Stefan Diggs the next year to kind of just, put your ego aside and just say, okay, that's what's best for this team and for this, you know, this wide receiver group. Um, not every guy, obviously we know, especially at the wide receiver position with where there's a lot of big personalities um, would be okay with that. And he has not seemed once to at all, you know, put up a fuss about it. In fact, him and Stefan Diggs seem to get along really well on, at least on social media and all that. They, you know, they've been tagging each other in posts and, and obviously Stefan Diggs after the game, was interviewed and said, you know, he thinks John Brown's one of the most under, underrated wide receivers in the league. So um, he would probably be the guy that that jumped out to me this week. Um, disappointment, it's hard not to go with Tyler Bass. Um, you know, I think that obviously that, that one kick was disputable. It looks like on replay, it maybe did go in and then they called it a, a no good. But Regardless, um, you know, you let go of Steven Hauschka, who's had struggles in his own right, but there's been so much hype about this kid, and rightfully so. Obviously, he has a huge leg. He's been um, just, you know, an off-season story that's been exciting. Obviously, not everyone expected him to kind of dethrone Hauschka as, as the kicker, and then the Bills went ahead and, and released him, and he became the kicker here. And for his first game to come out, whether – whether that first kick kind of messed with him mentally, because if you if you read or listen to stuff about kickers, Hauschka especially used to talk about it a lot, how much of it's really a mental game. He does a ton of yoga and meditation and all this other stuff to get right for, for games because so much of it is is mental with kicking. Um, whether that just kind of, you know, threw him off and freaked him out. I know McDermott talked about he's, he's young and this stuff's going to happen and all that and you grow and learn from it, but... Um, yeah, it just had to be a little disappointing. And then, you know, he had another miss later on in the game, which I guess people were saying the laces were in on that one or something. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to fault him too much and say that, I you know, I don't have any faith in the kid or, or whatnot after one game. But um, you'd like to see a rookie kicker come out and just, you know, crush it the whole game and then just move on from there. So, um, I think that that just overall was a little bit disappointing for me for his first NFL game to kind of have those misses that ended up happening there. True. Was So let me ask you guys, was Tyler Bass's first kick, was it good or no good? I thought it was good right away. They, they <laughs> called it no good. And I'm, I'm yelling, I was watching it with my brother. I'm like, that went in, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was good for sure. Yeah, I saw, you know, there's a few different replays. The one I, I posted about, um, it looked good. It looked like it was right, you know, over, it looked like it was right within the post there, at least going over the top of it, which should have been called good if that was it. But it's just, it's hard to tell on the angles they show on the broadcast. But you'd think in 2020, we'd have more, you know, definitive angles with some sort of cameras on the goalpost to be able to see like every different angle. Right. But um, right. It looked good from what I saw. I thought it was. So. I did I look up so the too. rule the rule book, by the way. So if you have, you know, you get, you're not going to see this on the podcast, but I'm making the field goal sign here. If it's 
anywhere above the bar, above the crossbar, that's a review play. And then yep. when you get kicks above the crossbar, you are the referee supposed to give you to the outer edge of the crossbar. Anything over that is supposed to be good. But if it's above the top of the post, somehow that makes it not reviewable. Yeah. I think it's a scoring play. It's like it's mm-hmm. 2020. Like we got to do better than like the guy. I don't know. There's was that 100 feet above his head. Like you yeah. guessing if it went in, like we got to do better than that. That's th- three points. A, I mean, it didn't end up affecting the game, but a, the Jets went down right back and scored like two or three plays later. Totally mm-hmm. changed the game. 10 point swing. And B, it didn't come up, but it could have. Like, there's a lot of betters who have money riding on these games between the point spread and the, the over-under, the total. And, like, uh, you're laughing. I see you guys laughing on our video chat here. Yeah. Like, I'm serious. Like, this is, like, you can't have points that just disappear when they should have been on the board. Like, right. that can't happen. Yeah, and I had a lot of people asking me that, too, Nick, to, to your point there about why it wasn't reviewable. And I saw that a lot talked about. And I, I saw the same rule you did, how it's it's above – you know, the post, it's all of a sudden becomes not reviewable. It just doesn't, we seem to have all these like ridiculous. There's a camera in the pylon. Right. But it just seems so weird that we have these rules that offset other rules in the NFL, especially, and they don't ever make any sense. So um, not, not uncommon, but just as frustrating nonetheless, for sure. Yeah. All right, quickly, before I move on, I got to give a shout out to the offensive line. That was impressive to me. They they seemed to give Josh Allen tons of time to throw. Mm-hmm. Um, the run blocking maybe needed a little bit of work, but they finally seemed to settle on uh, Cody Ford at right guard, and then they had Darrell Williams at right tackle. Got to give them props. And then uh, somebody that disappointed, I think you ha- – I'm, I'm going to point out the Bills rookie class. I know it's only their first game, but if you go through it, didn't have a first-round pick. Second-round pick, A.J. Epinesa, was inactive. Third round pick, Zach Moss, nine carries for 11 yards. Did have a receiving touchdown, though. Uh, Jake Fromm, inactive. Tyler Bass, two missed kicks. Isaiah Hodgins, not playing. Dane Jackson didn't make the team. Everybody's been saying, being, you know, how important his drafts are. And I mean, totally one game, I get it. You would have liked to see better from the first game, especially for not having a first round pick. Like, they got very minimal contributions from any draft pick this year. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point, too. I was a little surprised that Vanessa was inactive, but at the same time, you know, I get it. They're they're deep in, in his position group, and they're trying to allow him to develop. But I think any time you, you take a player in the second round, especially when you don't have a first-round pick, you expect him to come in and make an impact. Um, so, you know, for him to not even be active at all, um, that, that has to – I agree with you. It's a little bit, uh, it's a little disappointing to, to start the season there. Yeah, but he had no preseason. He's got a long career ahead of him. We're not going to write him off yet. Right. Charlie, what, what's next, man? Keep so I kind of want to go. One thing I wanted to bring up looking at the snap counts specifically, um, obviously, like you said, Nick, Cody Ford played 100% of the snaps. And uh, Daryl Williams also played 100% of the snaps on the offensive line. So I thought it was strange how they had that depth chart set up for multiple <laughs> offensive linemen at right guard and right tackle. But it, it seems like you said they, they really solidified on on, Co- on uh, Cody Ford and uh, Williams there on the right side, which I thought was, was really good. Um, surprising because it seemed like he was on the field a lot more. Zach Moss – played 39 snaps, I felt like I saw him on the field a lot more than what I saw Singletary. Singletary had 51 snaps of the 87 offensive snaps in that game. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that. I made a comment during the game. I thought, same thing, I thought Zach Moss was visibly there a lot more than Singletary, but when I saw the snap breakdown as well, I yeah, it was, it was a little surprising to me that Singletary, not surprising that like he shouldn't have been out there more, but just because I I noticed Moss more. I don't know if it was I was looking for him more, or if he's just a bigger, you know, a bigger uh, target to look at on the screen there. But um, I think maybe just the fact he was it was his first game, he had the receiving touchdown. I just noticed him out there more. Um, but yeah, it, I think one point two to what you were saying about the offensive line, obviously. McDermott has this thing in his head built up. You cannot give the Jets like an inch with this depth chart thing that to me was a little ridiculous. But, um, you know, going back to the Feliciano injury that kind of facilitated this movement along the offensive line, um, once they kind of had been talking about playing Cody Ford at guard, um, 
I kind of assumed Daryl Williams was going to be starting because if you look at it last year, the reason, um, you know, Naseki was splitting starts or, you know, snaps with Ford. Um, there's no way Naseki's knees are, are at this point in his career. He can't, he just can't physically play every snap anymore. And it, once McDermott said in the preseason that they were, he didn't want to do the same rotational thing as what they did last year on the offensive line for consistency reasons, that kind of just ruled Naseki out automatically in terms of, hmm. you know, getting to start on the line. So I think that they found what they hope is, is the right mix, but it will be interesting to see. Um, if Feliciano comes back from this pectoral injury, you know, what happens then? Is he, you know, inserted back into the starting lineup? Is he kind of just going to have to wait for his time to play or mm -hmm. how are they going to juggle that? Um, obviously, we have a couple more games here till he's even eligible to return um, if he is ready. So, you know, if they all of a sudden the offensive line falls apart, then that's a whole different story. But if they keep playing well, it's hard to see, you know, Dable and McDermott kind of disrupting the consistency on the offensive line. So um, that's something that it's, I'm going to definitely be looking for as, as we roll along here uh, to the next few games. Yeah, and touching on the Feliciano injury, it looks like uh, he was at least in a jersey today at practice, according to Joe B on Twitter. Um, so we'll see. Usually they just wear those through the walkthroughs, so kind of curious to see what's going on there. He's obviously not eligible to return for another two weeks uh, since being put on IR. So we'll, we'll see, much like you said there, Brad, what, what's going to be the plan when he comes back? Are they going to use him in a rotational type of situation or plug him automatically right back into the starting spot? Um, one other thing I want to touch on real quick from the game last week is obviously the injuries. Nick, you, you and I talked last week uh, specifically really about the linebacker and the lack of depth at linebacker. Bills had three linebackers go down last week. Obviously, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, and uh, Delshawn Phillips. Um, neither of none of those practiced today, so they were all held out today. Um, I guess Tremaine Edmonds did have a non-contact jersey on, so I guess that that's good. But let's say Milano and maybe Edmonds can't go this week. What's Buffalo's plan? What 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 does Buffalo do there? There's there's not much depth behind behind those guys yeah we talked about when the depth chart came out it, it uh the linebackers matt milano first string and then nobody behind him it was you know i, I joked on twitter like sean mcdermott probably ends his prayers every night like and please don't let matt milano get injured like and then for you know first game Edmonds and milano like if, if those guys had to miss a game together like that would be horrible for the bills defense like they need those guys um i will say uh i thought aj klein played pretty well in i mean he's technically a starter but he saw a lot more of the field once milano was out um when you're looking at the defense if they can get one of those guys back this week if Edmonds can play maybe and then you have klein starting they can probably play nickel with only two linebackers on the field a lot of the time against miami i mean miami might try to counter that and, and use other formations this week um Milano's great in coverage. Uh, Miami seems to like their uh, their tight end over there, Mike Jacecki. They're going to have to figure that out. If they use a safety, I don't know what they're going to do with that. We'll see who's healthy. It seems like good news. I, Brad, you can tell me, tell me more because I know you follow a lot of these press conferences. Like McDermott on Monday, I got the impression he was like, uh, they're day-to-day, -day, just like kind of shoving it under the rug without really trying to give Miami any hints. So I wasn't – I mean, it was good that it's not like, oh, you know, broken bone out for a month or something. But right. he's like, I wasn't really reassured that they can both play this week. Like, I would not be surprised at all if at least one of them is out for the game. So they're going to have to find something, but hopefully it's not catastrophic. Yeah, and to your point, um, McDermott definitely kind of played it off. He didn't even mention anyone by name earlier this week. He just said all of our injuries are sort of day-to-day -day at this point. Um, and I think Joe B made made the point on Twitter that day to day for McDermott is ne not necessarily like a great mm -hmm. thing. It doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, they're going to play this weekend. It just that's what he says a lot of the time. So <laughs> it's not really a lot. It doesn't give you many clues. But um, to Charlie's point today, it looked like, you know, uh, admins was the only one to even be at practice and he was in a non-contact jersey. So um you look at the depth as you guys already mentioned, but you got a, a rookie or not rookie, but a guy that didn't play last year um, 
in Tyrell Dodson now who had his first sack last week, who all of a sudden, you know, he had a really strong preseason um, and people weren't even necessarily pegging him to maybe make this team. And all of a sudden he's one of your top backup linebackers. So um, played well last week uh, for the most part. So he might be relied on. Um, and then you have, you know, uh, a veteran linebacker who both McDermott and Bean are familiar with. Obviously, we joke about the, the, the Panthers pipeline here, but Andre Smith on the practice squad, who was one of the protected practice squad players this week um, for obvious reasons because of the, the lack of depth at linebacker. So I wouldn't be shocked if, if both those guys can't go if we see, uh, you know, as one of those available call-ups from the practice squad, if we see Andre Smith brought up this week. Um that could be a possibility as well. But yeah, like you guys, like you said, I mean, having both Edmonds and Milano, you're, you know, by far your two best linebackers out uh, at the same time. Luckily it happened in a game where the bills didn't really have to worry about it. It wasn't a tight game or anything like that. But um, I saw some people joking around, well, maybe they just kept Edmonds out of the game because they knew they were winning anyway and they didn't want to, you know, risk injuring his shoulder more or whatever. Maybe he could have, gone back in there if, if they actually needed him but um yeah definitely something to be a little concerned about going into this miami game yeah i mean absolutely and and i think nick to touch on your point as well as far as them possibly coming out and playing you know a lot of nickel don't forget there are only four healthy uh cornerbacks on this team as well right now you got josh norman who's also on ir um so do you think Brad could could you see this team maybe recalling a guy like a, a calling a guy like Cam Phillips up to the 53? I know they brought in a few guys uh, for tryouts this week. I haven't heard anything about them uh, signing any of those guys to the roster, but um, I mean Cam Phillips would obviously be the be the right choice, I would think. Yeah, and I, I think that that's most likely the direction they would go in. I think um, you know it, it it'll be interesting to see with you know, what, what did they do there? It was surprising kind of when we were looking at the construction of the roster to begin with, you know, what, what position groups they were going to keep a larger number at. And I think some people were surprised at the lack of depth that like you guys already touched on both linebacker and cornerback, um, you know, especially given the fact with the injuries in the preseason to both Norman and Levi Wallace, you have to remember, wasn't healthy for portions of the preseason, you know, the training camp as well. Um, so yeah, I think that they only have a couple options on the practice squad there right now, um, at cornerback. And as you said, they brought in guys to, um, try out this week, but I can't imagine them signing a guy that they just all of a sudden plug in. So, um, it probably would be a call up there, but, um, yeah, I, I think that that's something that, you know, especially versus a team like Miami, I think that, um, to next point already, if they're going to play nickel, um, it's a little bit just fascinating the mixing and matching of all of this. And I think that that's something Dable actually does well. You know, he, he gets a lot of um, a knocks on him for kind of some of the play calling and things of that nature. But I think he's pretty good at strategizing versus um, formations and things like that. He seems to pick, um, you know, good offenses to run versus get what the defense gives them. So um, I'm interested to see how they handle all of this this week, though, for sure. I'm just looking at the snap counts now since you mentioned it, Charlie. Taron Johnson played more snaps than Tredavis White last week. Mm -hmm. So obviously they probably took him out at the end when the, the lead was big. But your slot cornerback played 86% of the snaps on defense. That sort of tells you what kind of defense they, they really want to be in. And that's going to be dependent, too, on, on the offensive formation. But McDermott – I mean, McDermott has said before, you know, slot corner is a starting position in my defense. And then the other thing, I, not to bring up, we already talked about injuries, but Taron Johnson's a guy that when he is available is obviously a really good talent, but he's a guy that's had his fair share of injuries as well. Yeah. And um, obviously they have other, you know, pieces they can slide in there if they need to. Saran Neal is a guy that's, you know, played um, that nickel position if they need him to. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, you're one or two injuries away on this defense right now with their current state of just being like, you know, holy crap, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're in trouble. So yeah. yeah, as you joked around about McDermott, you know, praying that Milano doesn't get hurt. He has to be praying even harder this week that they don't suffer any more injuries to starters. Cause they're, they're already have quite a few guys that are, they're out right now. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think we saw a lot of injuries throughout the league 
this week, obviously with having no preseason and, and the, the, the players in the league not getting a lot of contact, um, you know, in those preseason games, I, I thought we saw an uptick in, in a lot of injuries, a lot of hamstring injuries, it seemed. Um, so hopefully a lot of those guys are able to come back for, for at least for myself, for fantasy purposes and stuff like <laughs> that. And, and obviously, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, Edmonds and uh, uh, Milano are able to come back this week as well for death purposes for the Bills. And they're, they're, they're playing a pretty, I wouldn't say tough team, but unpredictable team with the Miami Dolphins. And um, I, I guess, Brad, to start start looking at week two this week, obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Amish rifle, um, a lot of things with him. You, you, year in, year out, you see him come out, have a game like he had last week where he throws three interceptions, four interceptions, and just doesn't look good. Then you see him come out the following week and throw six touchdowns like he's been doing it forever. I guess, first of all, what what are the the Bills' worries going into this week, and where do you th- feel like they can succeed this week with this Dolphins team? Yeah, I think that's a good point with, with Fitzpatrick. I think you never really know exactly what you're going to get from him, which, which makes him such a tough um, starting quarterback, right, because coaches like to have confidence and in, in, in their quarterback. They're going to get a certain – uh, performance each week. And as you said, sometimes Fitz looks terrible and other times he looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So um, I know McDermott is is known for not giving the other teams anything. He's not going to say anything controversial during a press bo- or press conference to give um, any ammunition, but he did. Uh, he was very, very, very complimentary towards Fitzpatrick today in his press conference and, you know, said, you know, how highly of a talent he was and how he can, you know, make, make all the plays. So whether he actually believes that or not, he said it today. Um, You know, I I think that something that Brian Flores spoke about today in his press conference as well was how much, uh, how good this Bills wide receiver group is, which we already talked about, but he did say um, Xavier Howard, which is one of, you know, their top cornerbacks was going to expected to play more this week. And, um, he's been, I believe, on a limited snap count so far because um, of injuries. So, um, but they're, they said that the Bills wide receivers are going to challenge them this week more than the Patriots wide receivers did. Um, so I think right there that that's, a, that's an opportunity for success for the Bills is, is getting these, their group of wide receivers continuing to uh, you know, take advantage of a defense here. Um, you know, the Dolphins invested a lot in this defense. Obviously, one name that those fans would be very familiar with is Shaq Lawson was signed to a pretty nice contract with, with the Dolphins um, in the offseason here. Um, so I think exploiting kind of their weaknesses on defense is important. But, you know, we already we already talked about it, but I, I, I don't see Josh Allen not, you know, running the ball this week. I think that that is going to be an opportunity for them. Cam Lewis, or Cam Lewis, now I'm going back to Cam Newton, uh, kind of laid the groundwork for for Josh Allen, I think. And whether they switch up the defense because they know they're facing similar style quarterbacks or not, um, you know, I think that the Bills have to take advantage of that, whatever that looks like. I'm not really too concerned with the defense facing off against, um, you know, this Miami offense. I think it's really the test is going to be can can this Bills offense build off their performance last week but not have a regression in the third quarter of the second half because um, I do think the game is going to be closer than it was versus the Jets. I think, you know, if you look at offseason kind of predictions and all that, a lot of people had the Bills winning the AFC East, but people tended to flip-flop on Miami or New England finishing second, it looked like. So, some people, I believe I saw one prediction that had Miami winning the division. Um, so definitely a, a more formidable opponent than the Jets were. But as you also said, Charlie, it's a little hard to gauge them at this point. So early on is what what can we actually expect from this Dolphins team? Um, but yeah, Fitzpatrick's such a wild card each week that um, I don't see him going out versus this Bill secondary and throwing six touchdowns, but I guess you, you never can be a hundred percent certain with him. Yeah. So a lot of the Miami writers, they were, it was like a, a big news point in, in the Monday press conference was that Fitz is going to start again and it's not to a time just yet. And I was like, man, every single time you think you're done with Fitzpatrick, he always like cooks something up and it's usually comes against the bills. It seems like, but there's always like never rule out like some fits magical fits, you know, 
something something crazy is going to happen. It always does. Yeah. Can't rule it out. And, and they Bills. were asking too, like to that point, they were asking like if he struggles versus the Bills, is it then going to be two a time? And and it looked like some of the Miami reporters still aren't certain if like yeah. how long is Fitzpatrick's leash actually going to be here. Yeah, I mean, if it, I suppose it's possible that if he plays poorly again, like this could maybe be like the last game of his career, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't, you, you never know with him, but like you said, he seems to always pop up somewhere with an opportunity. I just, I, I think the, the reason is, apart from just being a veteran, like as we've said, he has that like weird ceiling where it's like, oh, he could do really well. So we should sign him as, you know, just be a stopgap for whatever guy we're developing behind him. And then he wins the job in camp and then, and then that's it. So um, it could be the end of his career for sure, though. But yeah, um, well, that was my point. Though. Like, he's not going to let the last game of his career be like laying an egg against the Bills. Like, he's going to cook up yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty, be pretty storybook, too, versus, you know, versus Buffalo for, for, for him as yeah. well. There, I always think about when he left for the Texans. And then he had that that crazy pregame speech before the Bills. If you yep. haven't seen this, like go look it up. I'm sure we talked about it last year on the podcast. Like you gotta see this speech; it's incredible. Yeah. And and the one thing with when it comes to Tua, I wonder if just Tua is not a hundred percent yet, and that could be part of the reason why they're still oh for sure you know, put him down at, 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 at as that backup role, not put him in, especially this week. Um, but, you know, Fitzpatrick, again, last week, numbers didn't jump off the chart. You're, he was 191 with 20 for 30 for 191 and three interceptions. Didn't throw any touchdowns. The only touchdown came on a Jordan Howard run who had eight carries for only seven yards and a touchdown. Um, so, really, this Miami Dolphins offense as a whole last week really didn't do anything off the charts. Um, much to your point there, Brad, I'm not too worried about – this Miami Dolphins offense. Cause I, I feel like, yes, they added some pieces, but I don't feel like they did enough to be an explosive game changing offense yet. Um, their defense does worry me a little bit. Obviously, you know, Shaq Lawson, who I really liked in Buffalo. I know he had some up and down seasons. I thought last year he had a very good season, um, but Shaq Lawson did lead their entire team in offensive snaps or defensive snaps. I'm sorry. He had uh, 60 snaps uh, played 94% of the game on defense for Miami. Um, And I thought he looked pretty good against Cam Newton and the Patriots, but that defense is probably my biggest thing uh, for Buffalo and his offense. You know, last week they jumped out to an early lead. And for some reason, and we've seen in years past, they seem to take a real conservative approach with that lead come the third and fourth quarter. That's not something they can do again this week. Yeah, and, and it's interesting too, just the amount they threw the ball. It didn't it didn't feel like, oh, okay, all of a sudden they're just gonna, you know, run it up the middle for two yards and like offensively seen in the past. They were still throwing and having Josh kind of get out there in space. But um yeah, it, there was a joke that a lot of people were tending to joke around, like, oh well, I've been I've seen this story before. Like it just, it did feel at times like, oh God, like here we go again. This is we we've all been there watching the bills before when we've seen them give away leads in the second half and it just sometimes feels like they can't escape that no matter who you know who's on the team how well they're perceived to be all this stuff it just feels like you know i don't want to say a curse but it feels like they're just stuck in this rhythm we're used to where the second half's the letdown and i think honestly that's a big that's a big part of being a good team in the nfl right because you can have a lot of talent you can win games but you have to sometimes keep your foot you know, push down and really put teams away. And we have not seen the Bills do that, even versus bad teams like the Jets. And I know the final score uh, with garbage time and all that made it seem maybe on, if you didn't watch the game, you just looked at the final score, you'd think it was a lot closer than it probably was. But those are the games, you know, where you want to see them really just crush a team like the Jets at the end of it. So I think, you know, the Dolphins are going to be a bit more of a test. Um, You know, another guy, just looking even at their, their roster, I remember a, a bigger name that they were able to sign um, in the offseason away from, from the Patriots um, was Kyle Van Noy. Um, they brought him over. Um, you know, they have Christian Wilkins, too, in his second-year defensive tackle there, who I know Shaq Lawson was was high on joining there on that Miami defensive line. So 
Um, you know, Shaq is such an interesting guy personality wise. He's just, he has a huge personality. Um, he was, you know, we all know he's a former first round pick and he did have really a tail end of his career was a lot better than where it started, which makes sense for any young player. But um, that'll be a really interesting matchup. We already talked about the Bills offensive line, if they can continue to be consistent. But, you know, you can just see Shaq Lawson having a field day if he's able to do anything versus Bills offensive line or get to Josh Allen, who I, you know, I think they had a good relationship during his time Mm -hmm. uh, here. But that's just, there's little interesting storylines like that. One, uh, another one was, you know, the Ferguson brothers showdown. This is going to be the first time that Blake Ferguson, uh, long snapper for the Dolphins now, and Reed Ferguson and Buffalo are going at each other here. So um, some some little interesting nuggets to, to add to your viewing pleasure this week when, when you're watching as well. <laughs> the battle of the long snappers is truly underrated. I'm really glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. Br- hey. Brotherly long snappers. The long snappers could change the game, man. One wrong snap, and you could, you know, could, well, could definitely change the game one way or the other. One wrong snap, you're probably out of a job. Yeah, <laughs> very true, very true. Um, so, again, going into this week against that Miami Dolphins team, what, what are your expectations for Josh Allen and, and even this running game? What what Does the running game finally get going? Does, obviously, we, we talked about the number of runs that Cam Newton had last week, but outside of running the ball – do you feel like Josh Allen's going to have equal success this week against the Dolphins throwing the ball? Yeah, I mean, I that's a good question. I, I don't know if he'll have the same level of, of success in terms of the yardage, if it's going to be another over 300-yard game. I don't know at what point can we just be expecting that as the norm for Josh Allen. I don't know if we if we ever kind of will. I don't know, you know, what what is the the final kind of, approach for Josh Allen is he always going to be this hybrid quarterback which I think yes I think if if that's the way they're, they're going to maximize his talent he has to be but um you know some quarterbacks you look at look at Matt Ryan last week through for you know over 400 something yards and we it seems like you just come to expect that from Matt Ryan even if the Falcons stink he always throws for like 500 yards a game it's just like right. who he is as a quarterback there's certain quarterbacks there's just this expectation there so I'm not there with Josh Allen yet. I, I'm very high on him in a lot of ways, but I don't just expect now every week we're going to see a 300-plus yard performance. And we've already talked about this Miami defense has some talent on it. Um, I do think the Bills are going to win this game. I do think that um, they'll put up points again. Um, it's going to be really interesting, though, in the run game to continue to see, is it going to be an even split between Singletary or Moss? Is Moss going to eventually um, – you know, pull away or is Singletary going to kind of cement his role as, as the lead back? I, I think it's going to be for a while, at least 50, 50 split there, but um, you know, it, it's, there's such different running backs too, because Moss is mm-hmm. so physical, um, so strong and Singletary is just this like elusive little, little guy that, that makes, we saw last year, people miss left and right. So um, yeah, I think that they, it's going to be, it's going to be a tougher versus Miami defense, but um, you know, I, I still think the offense is going to find a way to succeed. They have too many weapons this season not to. So um, I think I think they'll get the job done for sure, though. You guys think Allen throws for three hundred again? I, I, I don't. I don't think he's going to get it this week. I don't want to be a pessimist, but um, I, I think, <laughs> like I said, I think they're going to win. I think they'll put up points, but I think we're going to see. Just to have, I think, like we already said, based on what we saw last week with this Miami defense, I think Allen's going to be running the ball a bit, and I don't know if he's going to be able to kind of put up those the same throwing stats that we saw last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Brett. I mean, I don't need him to throw 300 yards a game. I, I'm just not, you know, I, I know a lot of people judge a quarterback. You know, if they can throw 300 yards every game, then they're they're a very good quarterback, and that's people judgment same with the running back if my running back's not getting 100 yards a game then he stinks right um but i feel like as long as josh allen just can continue to be uh, uh aggressive and continue to take those steps every single week that we expect him to make then i'm fine with that i don't want to see him make a regression you know last week in the fourth quarter he made a typical josh allen throw scrambling out of the pocket and tried to squeeze it in between two defenders and it was almost picked off Luckily, we only saw that once last week and not multiple times like we've seen 
in seasons past. But if he can continue to just be smart with the ball, uh, take a sack if he needs to, not just try to force something to force it um, and throw the ball away, I'm fine as long as he just continues to to uh, progress week in and week out. You guys think Shaq Lawson has a sack? Yes. <laughs> oh, that's never uh, a I think so. I, no, I, I, it's too. The Bills are going to be too. They're going to be too honed in on Shaq. I don't think it happens. I think the offensive line is uh, shuts him down. I think Shaq is a guy who knows how to keep a chip on his shoulder. So I think he'll be yeah. he'll be hungry for it. I think so. For I, sure. I, he, he's a guy that, that, that likes to get hyped for a game, and I think you know going against Buffalo, the team that drafted him, I think he's going to be be ready to go, especially with his friends on the opposite side of the ball. Um, you know, you know he's going to want one just to hold it over their yeah. hands. So. The Bills could probably use that, throw a couple screens at him. See, he'll try, mm-hmm. probably try to fly off the edge too fast. Absolutely. All right, you guys think Stefan Diggs gets in the end zone? Yeah, I, I'm going to say this. I, I felt he had such a good game last week, but I thought that the – the way the game played out didn't really allow for that opportunity later on in the game. So I think this game is going to naturally be closer. And I think that um, the opportunity will be there. So I'll say he gets, he gets his first uh, receiving touchdown for the bills this week. I think so too. I think Diggs finally gets, gets in the end zone for Buffalo and you know what, he's going to have some fans there. The, the, the Both teams are finally going to have some fans. And from what I've seen online, there's a lot of bills fans who, bought tickets to these games. Now I don't know if they're actual tickets. I guess we'll find out when they get to the gates, <laughs> but um, you know, there, there is a number of fans that did, that did buy tickets from what I've seen in all my uh, groups from, from the guys down in Florida. Uh, so it might be very much like a, like a normal dolphins game where it's mostly Bills fans in a home game <laughs> for, for Buffalo. So uh, I think they'll have a good time. And I think Diggs definitely gets in the end zone this week. Does Tyler Bass miss any kick this week? Charlie, you can start there. <laughs> uh, I hope not, but he's still a rookie. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt for at least another week and just you know say yes, he'll miss one. I don't think it'll be a game changer, but I think he'll miss one. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with that. I think that there's a likelihood maybe he, he pulls another one, but I don't think it'll be anything catastrophic or change change the outcome of the game or anything like that. Okay. And the, all right. the weather looks a lot better in Florida than what it did in Buffalo last week. So, I mean, with the wind and everything last week, uh, the weather this week in Miami looks looks a lot more calm for him. So, we'll see what happens. All right. And then last one, I want to ask you guys about picking the Bills against the spread. The line is Bills minus six. And I will give you some uh, some history here. Six probably doesn't seem like a lot, but the Bills being six point favorites on the road is actually pretty rare. It's only happened one time under Sean McDermott. That was in 2019 at Miami in week 11. The Bills won 37 to 20. Before that, being under, or I'm sorry, favorite of six or more on the road, 2014, 2008, 2004, 2002, 1996. So this is, uh, speaks, I guess, number one, to how not good the Bills have been. And number two, like it's hard to win on the road in the NFL, especially in a division game. So, Six might not seem like a lot, but it actually kind of is. With that in mind, will the Bills cover? Yeah, I I, I have the Bills. I think that they'll win uh, by two touchdowns this week. I, I, I think it's going to be 20. If I had to pick a score, I'd say 24 to 10, I think is going to be the final for this. So I think they'll cover. I, um, you know, I know what you're saying, and I, I just don't think this Dolphins – team has enough um going up against the bills and they play well versus miami josh has played well versus miami especially so far in his career um i don't think it's not like you're going on the road versus one that even has fans to begin in terms of like a full house or anything like that but we also have a limited capacity and it is miami and as charlie already said it looks like there's going to be a decent amount of bills fans there so i don't really worry about it being a road game or anything like that so i I think yes. I think the Bills will. Yeah, I th- I think they cover. Uh, kind of like what Brad said. I I got him with two touchdowns. Um, you know, I I this Miami defense, in my opinion, yes, while they did add pieces, I don't see them being much better than what Buffalo played last week against the Jets. And I thought Josh Allen did a good job handling that defense and a good job reading the defense, both rushing and throwing the ball. Um, and I I think we see a lot more Josh Allen rushes this this week as well. 
Uh, hopefully he's able to hold on to the ball a little bit better, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I do see them winning by two touchdowns this week, and, and, I, and I think they, they should be able to, to walk out of there with an easy W and come home to play the Rams. Okay. I mean, I'm just worried about the injuries on defense. I think if you just talent-wise, the Bills definitely have a better roster. I'm just worried about people actually being on the field. So something about Fitzpatrick makes me just, just worried about I, – I still I like the Bills to win for sure. Just something, I don't know if I would if I would touch this spread just because of the injuries on defense. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, you know, we talked a lot about that between Fitzpatrick and the injuries. So I think that's a good point to bring up. But I just think that this defense overall is built in a way that can maybe sustain a couple of those injuries, whereas, a you know, a lesser defense wouldn't be able to. But um, it's, yes, as you already pointed out, the history behind it, six points is definitely an interesting one to uh, to touch there for sure. You know, I, I, I read an interesting stat this week and i think it also shows just how good this bill's defense is outside you know uh with with wallace and tredavious white i believe you guys can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe i read that the bills outside defensive backs only allowed 14 yards to the jets this past week um so obviously if if Miami is going to try to win this game. I think it's going to have to feature a lot of their three running backs and see how much they decide to use them, whether it's through screens or whatever. But I don't see them really beating Buffalo on a, on a deep ball um, against Trey White or Levi Wallace, for that matter. Um, I, I believe if Buffalo's weak in that middle, losing Milano and losing Edmonds, then yeah, Nick, I kind of agree with you. That does worry me a little bit. Uh, but if one or both those guys are back, I, I don't think there's too much to worry about with Buffalo in this defense. All right. That's all the questions I got for you guys. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, hey, Brad, I appreciate you uh, you hopping on. We actually have one more thing that Nick actually shared today on Twitter. Uh, Nick, you were saying that the Bills are ranked the 14th best That's stadium right. by ESPN? Yeah, I was actually, I'll be honest with you, I was, I saw the headline here, like ESPN ranked every NFL stadium, like one through 28. And I was like, oh man, like Buffalo's going to get crapped on just like always here, right? And I'm reading it. I was pleasantly surprised that Bill Stadium came in 14th out of 28. And I just, I think because if you just asked some random NFL fan out in the, in the, in the whole country, I don't think many people are going to say Buffalo Stadium is in the top half of the NFL. So the Bills, they scored high in um, price, which low price, always good. And they Mm -hmm. scored high in tailgating. Somehow Kansas City was number one in tailgating. Bills were number two for tailgating. Um, Maybe people think the Bills is not as family friendly or something. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I thought that that was just good that Buffalo didn't get embarrassed again. And number two, like, Stadium talks always seem to come up here, so I think this this is a definitely a win for uh, those of us who believe that massive public funding shouldn't really go toward a stadium like that when we have one that's perfectly sufficient. Yeah, I don't see much wrong with Bill Stadium. Um, you know, the only thing that I saw on this chart was that they rated the atmosphere was twenty six and twenty six out of twenty eight, and the features is twenty six out of twenty eight. I mean. If we're talking about the stadium, I mean, let's face it, it's a very old traditional stadium. I'm I don't need all the bells and whistles when I go to the stadium. I'm there to watch the game. Uh, you know, here in Atlanta, we got the new Brave Stadium at Truist Park, and that thing's got all the bells and whistles, and it's all great if you're taking kids to the game. But you know, if I'm going to the game to go watch the game, I, I don't need you know all the little arcade games and things like that that they have. But outside of that, I, I thought it was interesting to see them rank where they did. And, and I kind of agree with you. I thought for sure they'd be in the lower half of that uh, uh, ranking. So it was nice to see them rank a little higher. And, and I, I'm one of those few, I don't see a lot wrong with the stadium as, as a whole. I think they just put a little bit more work into it and, and gave it a few more upgrades, um, you know, more inside of the stadium. Uh, I, I don't see why they just can't stay there for, for a long time to come. Yeah. I mean, it's not, a sexy stadium by any means like let's not make it's it not so far <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah. that, that's the point though like you if you saw the game at the the rams and chargers new stadium it looks awesome and they keep they kept saying this is a five billion dollar stadium like 
like like bragging about it as if we're not supposed to be like horrified they're like they spent five billion dollars on the state like mm-hmm. five billion dollars a lot of money <laughs> plus i think you have to think about like we've talked this has come up a lot with in terms of moving the stadium or you know new stadiums or not in buffalo it's like who are you pandering to like what's the crowd in buffalo and i think that in a way like the Ralph, whatever you want to call New Airfield Bills Stadium now, like to a lot of people, like this is what they think of when they think of a stadium in Buffalo. Like you, I know we get the jokes about blue collar and like all that stuff, but it like really does feel like the right fit. Like I don't, not just even economically supporting a stadium that's that expensive in Buffalo, but like do people all of a sudden want their their ticket prices to double or whatever it would no, take they, to like go to games? Like, no, they they to Charlie's point, they want to go, they want to drink, and then they want to go in and watch the Bills win. Like, they don't care as much about some of this stuff that it may take to draw a crowd in a bigger city. That could be a blessing or a curse. I mean, it's really depending on what you know how you view it or what what you believe. But I think that a lot of Bills fans don't want to see the stadium move downtown. They want it to be an Orchard Park where it's been. They want room to tailgate. They maybe, yes, maybe there are certain amenities that certainly could be upgraded, whether it's the restrooms or other things like that. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that I think any just human being would appreciate being a little uh, nicer than they currently are. But um, I don't think Bills fans are ever going to pine for that, you know, top level sophisticated stadium just because they just want to go and have fun and watch watch the Bills. So, um, yeah. But I am surprised to your point about about this ranking. Um, yeah, a little surprised that the atmosphere was rated that low. I guess it depends what you consider atmosphere, because yeah. to me, the Bills have one of the better atmospheres. But I guess if you're talking about experience in terms of technology and other things like that, it would be lower. But I could see features being like dead last on the list for sure. But um, yeah, the, the other stuff. Yeah. It, it really is just dependent on what you as a fan, um, enjoy at, at your stadium for a football game. When I was working at the Buffalo news, one of my jobs was to do a tailgate report every week. And I would go to the parking lot at like nine or 10 in the morning or even <laughs> earlier and just l- l- freeze my buns off and just, but I'd walk around for like three hours and just meet all kinds of people. And when they played the Patriots, I would I met Patriots fans, and they said that Gillette, the new stadium that when when it got built there, really priced out a lot of people, and it's just like so uppity over there. They said they love playing the Bills, probably because they I mean they would win all the time, but they said it was cheaper for them to drive to Buffalo, get a hotel, enjoy the weekend, have cheap tickets, and then drive back, cheaper than it would have been to like sit in sit in those seats in Gillette with the parking and, and all the stuff out there. And I, and so they love coming out here, obviously having Tom Brady beating the bills helps, but um, it just like Western New York does not need that and probably wouldn't support that financially anyway. Like we're, you know, bill stadium kind of fits, fits the customer base here. No, I, I agree. And, and for what it's worth, the uh, Dolphins have the 25th ranked stadium, according to ESPN. And what the, are they in atmosphere? Ooh, the they are. Let me get back down there. Like they have pools and all kinds of like bars and stuff, and it looks really cool. But then, like, no one actually cares about the game. So okay, so going through the AFC East, the Jets are 21st. Bills are obviously 14th, as we said. The Patriots are 23rd, and the Dolphins are 25th. So going on this week, Dolphins tailgating is right at 20th, which there's not going to be any tailgating at at Hard Rock Stadium this week. Um, Their features are ranked 21st, which I thought was interesting um, because they just put a ton of work into that in the last few years. Um, Their cost is ranked 9, so they're, they're not overly expensive either. Um, the tickets but their actually atmosphere- from the team so bad, you just get them online, right? Their atmosphere is ranked twenty fifth. Yeah, that that makes sense. Like, I, I mean, when you're at a Bills game, people are invested in the game. I don't think their atmosphere is better than the atmosphere at Bills Stadium, but that's you know. But I mean, the Bills' atmosphere is twenty six. So how is maybe the train go- whistle takes them down? Maybe <laughs> that train whistle. That train whistle's got to go. But you go to a, you go to a Dolphins game; it's all away fans anyway. So I understand <laughs> that atmosphere being lower. But you go to a Bills game, yes, you do have your fair share, much like you said, Nick, 
of away fans coming in because sometimes it's easier and cheaper for them to buy a ticket, come to Buffalo, buy a game ticket, and it's still cheaper for them than what it would be for them to go to a game elsewhere. Um, but it's like you said, it's majority Bills fans in that stadium. They're all there to watch the game. I don't know how that atmosphere gets uh, gets put so low on this list, but. All right, guys. Thank you for doing this. Um, remember, you can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we are on Twitter at the underscore process pod. I'm at Nick Veronica. Brad, tell them where they can find you. Yep. Uh, on Twitter at Bradley Gelber. And uh, as as was already mentioned, my, uh, my writing's over on the Bills Wire. Uh, so that's where you can find my work there. All right. Excellent. And Charlie? Uh, you can find me at C H A W I T six eight Chawit six eight and Twitter. Uh Brad, appreciate you coming on and doing this with us, man. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys having me. Hopefully we can uh, do it again soon. Thanks everyone for tuning in. And remember to always trust the process.